0: atv talk the podcast sit down with your host industry professional leonard duncan as the men and women from the atv world bring their behind the scenes stories to life every tuesday at 5 p.m pacific standard time and remember dream big it could be your story one day Mike, how are you? Good, good. Uh, today's guest is Mike Coe, uh, legendary three wheeler four wheeler racer from days gone by. Um, Mike, how did you get started in the three wheeler industry?
1: Well, I um, was actually introduced to three wheelers by my brother Sam. He, uh, like a lot of people, got into them recreationally at first. You know, back in the mid. 70s early to mid 70s when people are just taking them out to the dunes and then uh, shortly thereafter they did start racing them uh, locally and in other parts of the state Um, I was in high school at the time and uh, I was mainly just interested in them because it was kind of a new thing you know the three-wheelers had been out for a while we just kind of kicked the tires and once they started racing them down to south bay and stuff i was uh, interested in doing it and my brother was already racing them and um uh, somehow we came to a conclusion that he was going to build one up and i was going to start racing it down
0: there and and that's back in the is that back in the early 80s or late 70s no that was a uh, 77 time frame
1: 1977 yeah 76
0: 77 yeah yeah i was i was 11 years old.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was mainly uh, Wednesday nights down at South Bay Speedway. There were some other races that were, you know, pretty far away. Corona was having some races every now and then they were racing Bakersfield. Um, We were mainly just to South Bay Speedway and there was occasionally there would be something at Carlsbad, but not very often back then. It was mainly mainly motocross and those old hardtail three-wheelers wouldn't do so well, but they did have a, like a little oval set up there um we did pretty good on the speedway tracks because they're you know flat and smooth that's
0: where it we lended itself to that old rigid three-way yeah, yeah. well i kind of got off track and out of my normal thing here with with introducing you and and everything uh welcome to atv talk um i'm leonard duncan your host and um we have mike co i've already said that but uh, let's roll into you raced the rigid three wheelers back in the 70s and probably into the start of the 80s when mm-hmm. the 81 250r came out right. and you then you got tied in with Honda at some point in there
1: yeah in 81 um i was racing locally again down at south bay and was doing well was winning a lot of races um and the the sport was growing a lot they'd had a big what they called the colossus at the uh, Corona Raceway, which I attended and did well at. And again, in my class, I actually raced a couple classes. Uh, One of them was a 138 CC class and I was good in that. And then I could also race it in the open class against Mark Waxeldorfer and Dean Sundahl. They were kind of the hot shoes at the time and could hold my own against them. Even on a machine that was, you know, smaller displacement, they were, they were pretty hopped up, you know, ran on alcohol and high compression. Um, so yeah, in 81, when they came out with the 250R, Honda had been taking some notes and they saw that, uh, Dean Sundahl, Mark Waxeldorfer, and Ace Williams were all, you know, kind of the top dogs in the open class and kind of approached them to, uh, look at this 250R that they had. And initially it was mainly to, uh, do some desert races. For score in the score events which they did and uh, you know they finished them and that was kind of eye-opening for them but at the same time uh, you know sometime in 81 the 3 wheelers, the 250 rs became available to the public and uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to be friends with a guy that had one and it was kind of funny with the guy liked it as it was uh, all stock, but he'd let us ride it. We'd have to put this flat, you know, turf tamer tires on the back and take the lights off and put a number plate on it and get it, you know, race ready for Wednesday nights. And then I'd have to take it all back apart and put it back at the stock to uh, put it back in the guy's garage. Sometimes when he got out of there, it took two or three in the morning
2: after the <laughs> but, races. <laughs>
1: but hey, when you want to race, yeah, you want exactly. to race. Exactly, And it wasn't a short time, maybe three months after that, my brother had his and right from the get-go we made it uh, into a race bike for me and again then again there was more and more races uh saddleback carlsbad south bay of course there was started to be a big circuit and uh, they actually by then had a a uh, score had a class for three wheelers by then um and it was still mainly dean sundall mark Waxeldorf mike chester And uh, Ace Williams, again, they were the primary riders for for the Desert Rides.
0: Well, we have a a unique pleasure. Um, Danny Duncan just came to sit down and talk with us and and listen in. Um, Mike has some history with with Danny building uh, the 9110 three-wheeler engines back in the day. So welcome, Danny. Good to be here. (laughs) <laughs> so mike I, we interrupted your uh, your deal it, it, what i'm get, getting from what you're telling me is that sam like i decided that he was a far better mechanic than he was a rider and relinquished the riding details because you know i found myself loving to ride and, and loving to test and and not being as good of a racer as i was a mechanic so i uh, connected with uh gentlemen like Don Turk and, and Doug Eichner and let them do the racing, and, and I got to turn the wrenches.
1: Well, Sam was a very good rider anyway. He he just realized that he didn't quite have the talent to run at the front in the pro classes. He did win uh, a championship on the smaller displacement at South Bay, and he did win a championship at Barona in expert class, I think, on his 250. Oh that's awesome. Yeah, cuz by then I was with Honda and then he you know he still had his three-wheeler and he he raced it a number of times but I think by the 82 83 he pretty much just involved himself with the tuning aspect of it and building engines for others kind of like you guys.
0: Well, yeah, that's you know. Yeah. You, you have to find your niche and you have to find where you're the best of it at and, and I know as as from watching many people and and listening to stories that my dad has told, uh, you can't, just because you love to ride doesn't mean that you're meant to.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, uh, he was a really good fabricator, too. A lot of people don't realize that in those early days of uh three-wheeler racing, they raced a lot of classes, classes that really didn't have production three-wheelers, like, you know, 125cc two-stroke three-wheelers and honda hired my brother to fabricate a number of chassis back then some for tommy gann and stevie wright those smaller displacement classes and uh, yeah throughout my career at honda he was he was heavily involved with uh fabricating one-off things um i think one of the last things he was involved with was when in about middle of 84 when honda sent over some water-cooled top ends for our air-cooled 84s um, he fabricated a little hoop and radiator combination to uh, allow that system to work. They sent over cylinders and side cases with water pumps uh, to you know, utilize those systems, but they didn't really have anything to mount onto the frames. We had to fabricate that ourselves. and Sam made all that.
0: That doesn't sound really like like Honda was ready for that. They were just uh, uh, trying to to get you guys to be the initiators, I guess.
1: Well, they could see that we were down on power, some to the Kawasaki's that were water-cooled, um, and they shared the motocross top end, so they were definitely stronger than our air-cooled Hondas. Um, a lot of people don't realize, too, that those all those air-cooled Hondas were actually already outfitted to be water-cooled. The mm-hmm. water pump uh, drive boss was already in the case, and it just had to have a bearing pressed in it. And then the side cases that, that Honda sent over with the water pumps cast into them, mm-hmm. uh, which is bolt on. It was a bolt together deal. So you bolt on the side cover in place of the standard one and bolt the cylinder on and the head. But so we had to fabricate the radiator and the hoses to it.
0: So that could have, they could have started their own little monopoly market back in the 80s, you know, if they would have. Pushed it a little differently.
1: Well, I think they realized even at that point that uh, the 85s are soon to be released and they were already water-cooled. So it was kind of just a stopgap measure kind of thing.
0: Just to make it so you guys could right. do
1: Right. So well. we, could, we could have just a little bit of power, a little bit of added power until the 85s were available.
0: Did you spend most of your time in the desert or... Uh, because I know Honda in, in that era had a huge desert push, mm-hmm. uh, but there's some short course stuff that was done. Did you get involved in in much of that? I know they raced uh, back east a little, not a lot, but there was some some races. No, I
1: was heavily involved in all the desert racing and short course. We there were times where we'd be on the road, you know, six weeks at a time, going to races, desert races, short course races, Mickey Thompson, uh, the nationals. You know, in '85 when they started, that's that circuit, and then you know Baja Cross. There was, there was, at that time there was races, all kinds of races too. And we couldn't hit them all. In fact, Honda was, you know, kind of sending different riders to different areas to try and get more more
0: races in, try and make it to them. Wow, that's I didn't realize that it was it was that diversified.
1: Oh yeah, there was uh, even most of the racers. Like I said, um, there were times that I couldn't make a national because you know there might be a race up in the nevada desert that they wanted to attend so they, they spread us out quite a bit back then um one of the things like, i could never won a mickey thompson title simply because i never could go to all the races and i think also in 84 they started doing those uh indoor tracks where they had their steel ramps on the concrete when right honda was already under some gun they would never let us race on anything but dirt so again we never could hit all of the races
0: so if there was a GP that you wanted to do, if it had asphalt section, you weren't allowed oh, to ride it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, so yeah, they did spread us out quite a bit to again
0: to try and get as much exposure as possible. And you rode with them from eighty one to eighty seven. No, no, I my last year with Honda
1: was the end of eighty five. Oh. I, I caught on with them at the uh, actually in eighty two. So, 82, three, four years I was. Um, I actually did ride for him in 81, kind of like a, I guess it was a little tryout race. I think it was either Mark Waxel, or Tommy Gain busted their collarbone and they were racing in the Houston Astrodome. They wanted me to fill in. So, I took my brother's three where I was still racing it at the time and was told that uh, Dean had to win. So, I still yeah. hole shot the thing, but I let him get around me, and I just shouted him for the whole race, and kind of looked at it like a tryout little thing, which I thought I did well, and it was. They, they.
0: You they, think you could have won that race?
1: Oh yeah, I could have won. But again, the the bigger picture, I guess, was to maybe get on the team. Right. Um, shortly after that race was the San Felipe 250, and. Uh, Tracy Dixon, Bob Dixon, you guys probably have heard of them and know them. They were building, they had a, a system with uh, Husqvarna, and he built a really neat three-wheeler for, uh, to race, short course, everything. And it was kind of a debut. I hadn't heard anything from Honda since uh, since that time. And Tracy asked me to ride with him mm. in the San Felipe 250. And that was after, in 81, I rode for uh, Three-Wheeling Magazine. They built up a 81 called it the Ghost, They entered the Baja 1000. It was Tracy Dixon, myself, and Harry McDermott, and we ended up getting third place. Um, I actually put the thing into second place on my my stint, was in the second place overall in the three-wheeler class, and then Harry, unfortunately, had a flat towards the end, front flat in his section. Still ended up finishing third, but that was... So they, they had the idea that I could ride pretty good by then.
0: Did did um, you ever get to ride that Tracy Dixon creation for Husky?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. So in the San Felipe 250, it was always the first race of the season. I was racing with Tracy. It was him and I teamed up on that on that uh, three wheel, and we actually we're doing really well. And at one of the pits, I think we were actually ahead. And Wes McCoy mentioned to me that if the Husky won, then I wouldn't have any shot of being with Honda. So it didn't really, you know, make a whole lot of difference to me at the time. I just wanted to win races and whatever I was riding with, I, you know, I was going to give it my best effort. And unfortunately, the bike did have a mechanical problem. It was uh, something to do with the, the chain tensioning system. So chain kept derailing. Finally limped it in, but we, we didn't
0: finish well. I did have Tracy on the podcast. and he did mention the machine yeah. he didn't go into as much detail as you did but um he, he was he was pretty proud proud of that machine yeah i mean it, it was a very nice machine i mean
1: it had more wheel travel overall it was it was probably much better than the existing hondas um mm-hmm. again the bob dixon and tracy too are you know incredible fabricators and the thing was really really clean and worked really well but like with anything new, you could potentially have some, you know, weak links, if you will, that you have to, you know, fix, which we did. I mean, it was it was brand new. Nobody knew until after we raced it what might happen to it. We learned, and they fixed it. And Tracy, then he was with um, Brett Driscoll, and they raced it after that, and they also raced it, short course raced it uh, quite a bit.
0: Well, he ended up at Honda as well.
1: Yeah. So he he had things with Yamaha. Again, they they built some really neat one-off three-wheelers that were very competitive, um, and so did uh, Ace Williams. Ace Williams was right there with Honda too. He was uh, quite the fabricator. But um, you know, speaking of Ace, he he actually my first real sponsor was was 3B Lightning. And that was Brock Glover and Billy Talley and Ace Williams. Um, Bob, that was the three bread. It was uh, Billy Talley, Bob Williams, and Brock Glover. That was the three, three, three Bs. Um, they were my first sponsor when I when I was racing Sam's bike. So um, they Honda did uh, eventually bring Ace Williams on board to be the third or fourth uh, team Honda rider. Um, he had built a number of Yamaha-powered three-wheelers, uh, most notably a 175 tri powered three-wheeler with a chassis of his own design, and a 250 cc-powered one. And it was really fast. In fact, uh, he he was won a few races on it at South Bay, and but when Honda brought him on board, they wanted him to build one that was Honda-powered. So it was basically the same chassis design. It was you know. Uh, same suspension components and things like that, but to use a Honda CR450 powertrain. Um, so, since it's his 250 Yamaha was available, I was going to race it at Riverside. That's when they, the whole push was to race at Riverside in '81. And uh, I, you know, everybody kind of knows the story would happen to Ace on that 450. Right. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, at the same time they locked up all of the stuff, so I wasn't able to ride the Yamaha. So I was entered, but didn't have access to the machine, so I didn't race. Even though I felt it probably would have won, because it was a lot faster and a lot better. It was just you know
0: kind of like the Husqvarna; it was ahead of the Honda already with the suspension. What well, what they were doing is they were taking what Honda had developed and and learning. Oh yeah, and and making it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, again, Ace was quite a fabricator, and uh, the Yamaha was good. In fact, even beyond that, then Marty Hart started racing that, that Yamaha by the time. By then, I was with Honda, and the following year in 82, by then, Honda moved from the 450 to a 480. And it was uh, deemed that we would uh, put a 480 engine into a 250R chassis, which my brother did. He did all the fabrication on that, did a real nice job. And by then, they had some, some uh, improved suspension components, longer aluminum swing arms. We had some pre production 1983 front suspension. So uh, in '82, I raced a 480 powered three wheeler at Riverside and won the open class on that. I think it was a rocket. Oh, man. Yeah, it was a uh, radar at uh, 98, 96 or 98 miles an hour down Thompson
0: Bridge on that thing so do i sense that maybe you were a little on the crazy side when you were younger no
1: wasn't didn't think i was crazy um but like a lot of you know young people I can tell you i mean you just you don't have any as much fear you know i mean i had my share of crashes and stuff and never really got too banged up you know bruises and scrapes um but that, that 480 at riverside would really work i mean. Really had to have big tracks for open class machines to really shine back then. And Riverside was a good,
0: good, big, wide open track. Do you think that the the three-wheeler got a bad rap? Or do you think that it, it, it it's just the skill of the rider that needs to upgrade to ride market?
1: Well, I, I, I'm certainly they had a bad rap, um, and they definitely have a unique handling characteristics. Um, but there was a, you know, a lot of people, I mean, Honda and Kawasaki, Yamaha sold a lot of three-wheelers. But what a lot of people don't realize is that the CPSC, which is the Consumer Product Safety Commission, was about to get axed from the government. It was a government uh, body. And Reagan said, "You guys really aren't doing much, so you know why should we fund your thing?" And I don't know how they landed on the three. I, I think they landed on them simply because of the numbers being sold, and there were clearly a spike in, in injuries and fatalities, and a lot of little kids were starting to get hurt on them. But I think a lot of that stemmed from you know lack of supervision. Uh, alcohol certainly had uh, impact on it. You know, the dunes were starting to really get filled up. And, you know, I had six-pack racks, and people were drinking. hellas so weren't a big thing yeah, back then. exactly. So, yeah, there was, a, along with the sales of three-wheelers, there was a rise in injuries and fatalities. So the CPSC, to save themselves, decided to jump on the three-wheeler
0: thing and try and save us from ourselves, you know. Yeah, that they, they, they tried to do that. With, I think they hurt the watercraft industry yeah. as well, and they might be going after. TV industry.
1: So. Well, they already have. They've already been after the UTVs, no doubt. That's what kept Yamaha from releasing their YXZ for the longest time because of lawsuits they had with the Rhino. So, yeah, they are still after it.
0: So, as you went through your career with Honda and uh, obviously raced multiple different things, mm-hmm. uh, did, did, did you get the... Not to be writer of record at, at any of the score stuff. Sure,
1: sure. In 84, 1984, I was a writer of record. That was really the only year that it was. Like I said, um, they had us so spread out that we might not be able to hit all the score races. I And mean, that was a big thing for Honda. In 84, I believe I did go to all, there was the high desert races in Nevada. There was the Frontier 500. That was a big exposure. Uh, I raced and won that three years in a row with Mark Waxeldorfer and Marty Hart, the uh, 82, 83, 84, that was a much more brutal race than any Baja race. mean the Nevada desert is really, really rough and slow, a lot of silt. And it took us longer to do that 500 miles, the Frontier 500, than a Baja 1000. Wow. So the speeds really weren't as high.
0: Do you, do you get to, uh, I, I know we've all gotten a little older, Do you still ride much at all?
1: Yeah. Move my motorcycle over here.
0: Well, I mean, (laughs) off-road, I mean. Um, Yeah, I still have a Banshee. Um, I hadn't
1: been doing a lot. I've got a couple Honda trail bikes still that I tinkered with. They came out, I think, in 2003. And those CRF 150s and 230s were kind of an evolution of the XR200 or ATC200. And they're very mild, but um, Honda... Did include a number of updates that were kind of developed with the ATC 200X with the bearing supported cams and extra clutch plate, you know, popped them up a little bit from the factory. And i tinkered with those for a number of years and I still have both of those. Um, I had my son and I were riding, so we had those little dirt bikes and had some ATCs. I mean, for years I, I had stuff. I stayed away from it for a few years until my kids were my daughter. She's 31 now. I've got three grandsons with her. Once she was about three or four, then we started back into it and i got some bikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I never really stayed away from any
0: off-road stuff for very long. Wow. Um, you, we had talked a while back and you were telling me about your experience after Honda. mm mm-hmm. um, Elaborate on that for
1: us. Well, in 1985, um, you know, there was a big, big issue at Honda. Um, well, maybe not to some. Most people don't realize uh, a lot of internal things that were going on. Um, like cars, they kind of come out with the next year's model around, you know, September, October timeframe. And same with the 3 wheelers So in the late part of 84, they introduced the 85 honda atc 250r which was water cooled and we developed a little short course gas tanks for those who wouldn't have to modify the, the steel ones mm-hmm. um, and one of my biggest sponsors at the time was dg performance and they used my practice bike myself and some ads that they did and uh, you know part of the ad logo was what makes a kosho go kosho was a nickname that i'd garnered from somewhere but uh, evidently that wasn't very well uh received, received by, honda. by honda yeah they didn't care for that at all so i feel um coming into the 85 season honda told all the riders if you want to race uh, for honda you've got to drop all your sponsors and i was with oakley cd boots dg subaki chains i had a lot of outside sponsors that helped me significantly through the years and by that point, the ATC racing was, was pretty popular, and you know there was uh, some noticeable income that they were not only offering up their product, but also uh, you know some cash for win ads and, and just general uh, you know advertisement purposes. So there was a it was very difficult at that time to go to your sponsor and say, hey, I, to, for me to ride this Honda three wheeler, I can't run anything but Honda approved products. Um, others maybe didn't have as many sponsors that I did as I did. Um, but anyway, that was, that was the, the bottom line. If you to sign the Honda contract, you couldn't have any outside sponsors. Uh, another part of that grief was that, um, my contract with DG Performance ran through, uh, either March or April of the 85 season. So, um, DG actually threatened to sue Honda if they forced me out of my contract. So, I was actually able to use DG performance uh, pipes and cylinder you know, portings and stuff like that through the first part of 85. But after uh, that April, March or April, then I had to start running all Paul Turner uh, top ends and pipes and stuff like that. So, there was a lot of animosity, maybe not for other team riders, but for me, there was a, a lot of uh, friction. Uh, I just wanted to, you know, do whatever I could to be the most prepared and, and have the best chance of winning races. So it was by that point it was all always was actually you want to do the best you can and win. Right. Um, but there was a, a significant drop off on my my account when I started running the Paul Turner top ends. I mean, noticeably less power. Uh, so that was uh, another unfortunate event that I had to deal with as the 85 season went on.
0: did How did you fare that year?
1: Well, it depends. I mean, I was still winning a lot of races. Um, they, I think most of the focus was on, the the AMA got involved with the, uh, three wheeler racing, tried to take it over from Doug Richards. I think it was kind of a joint effort. Um, they did have a 12 race series. Um, so depending on what you did in the end, in the end of the 85 season, uh, I think Marty Hart was, was granted the winner, but they only counted eight of the 12 races. Uh, Marty had some DNFs and some issues. And I, I honestly think now looking back, you know, 30 plus years that they knew going in, not only did we had the sponsors, but by the end of 85, they were only going to have two riders on the team. So They needed to really have the champion and they did some really kind of funny things during the season to, in my opinion, again, to uh, make sure that Marty ended up being the champ in 85 so they could say, yeah, we didn't fire the champ, you know? So if you still take all the points, the overall points, if you counted all 12 races, I would have been the, the number one, but they only counted eight, eight of 12. I mean, what sanctioning body takes off one third of the races? that's because Marty had some DNFs, a couple of races he didn't qualify for. Uh, Another race he should have been disqualified from. But again, the AMA was in Honda's pocket, namely Wes McCoy's pocket. And he basically told him, look, you know, if you don't alter some of the stuff, you'll never get another race type of thing. So again, there was a, you know, during the 85 season, there was a lot of political strings being pulled that I didn't really care for. It was unfortunate, like I said, that a lot of the fun went out of the racing because of all the politics going on. I mean, Honda did have a huge investment in it, and they wanted to capitalize on it. But then, you know, the whole thing with the CPSC, it was just a lot of, a lot of stress and stuff like that, I think, on both sides. But um, I ended up, anyway, I mean, they, they still, Honda paid me at the end of the season the championship money. I had a contract with them, so they still paid me, you know, what I would have earned if I would have so-called won the championship. So, you know, it was okay by then. I mean, it was um, a job. Like a lot of people, their income was was significant. And, uh, you know, really the podium finishers are, was where all the money was at. And, again, if you don't have these outside sponsors feeding you stuff too, then
0: got a little did it in 86 did you stay racing uh in the states
1: well yeah it, by when i realized that uh you know again i could talk you blue in the face about some of the stuff that happened during the races that were really really bad for myself um, won't get into that because i just you know i was still having fun racing but at certain points towards the end of the nationals, there were some really bad things that went down. Um, so once I knew that that was over, my very, very last race was the uh, 1985 Baja 1000. And uh, since my, my animosity towards Honda management stuff was kind of bad, they put me on the B team. And uh, that year I was with uh, Tracy Dixon, myself and Stevie Wright. We had a three-wheeler. Uh, almost stock in fact we did have some items from paul turner but we went down there and started the test and we pre-ran all our sections and uh we started coming back to where the start was or and we had our race three-wheeler there and we were all trying to ride it to get it sorted out and we realized Man, this thing's kind of slow so we would actually race it against our bone stock wore out pre-runners and they'd run away from the thing so we said, well, we got to start changing parts. Tom Gilday was our mechanic, and we slowly started changing parts one by one by one, until the thing was basically bone stock. And when it was back to bone stock, it was a little bit faster than our, our pre-runners, so that's what we ended up racing. We ended up winning. So that was my last race for Honda, was the one thousand, which we won. Nice. And it went into 86, they, You know, we had our falling out, which was... Again, I was really, really kind of you know on edge. But in '86, I could see the writing was on the wall that four-wheel ATVs were was going to be at. So I immediately, with DG Performance help, he had uh, some contact with the guy Suzuki, and I had a a bike and unlimited parts deal, and in uh, a per diem, and also like a win, you know, again a podium finishing win money through Suzuki, which at the time was very lucrative. Uh, and I won a lot of races on that Suzuki. It was an 86 LT 250. Um, but again, they, the earlier, the first year, LTs kind of had an antiquated engine, if you remember. Yes. had a funky Enduro engine. So once again, um, Mark Dooley said, look, I don't want to spend any time for a year messing with that old engine. Have your brother go and buy an RM 250 and have your brother put the RM engine in the, in the quad chassis, which I did. And amazingly enough, the 86 RM250 engine was almost a bolt-in. All the motor mount locations lined up perfect, the chain lined up. You only had to make like a little aluminum spacer to put beside the swing arm, and even the swing arm pivot bolt all lined up. So, you know, like a lot of manufacturers, they utilize a lot of engineering to make things simpler. And the only real modification I had to make is because the early Suzuki's, the first quad racers, had a side mount exhaust. And a single down tube, whereas the arm had a uh, center exhaust. So my brother cut the down tube and welded in a hoop so the you know, exhaust could come out the middle. And then Mark built a hand-built pipe for it. And even stock, the thing was a rocket.
0: And, you know, yeah. they, by then,
1: they, they had a lot of suspension things available. And Bob Briggs helped me with suspension. And Steve Graydon helped me with the aluminum components. And I was competitive right from the start. and won a lot of races on that ATV. And then shortly after that, well, even for the 86 season, my my mechanic, Chuck Miller, kind of lost his job at Honda 2 after the three wheeler thing folded. They only had, uh, they were going after the quad. So he got hired by Suzuki to be a mechanic for Rodney Gentry. And that was going to be in 87. So towards the end of 86, the word was out, and I had some discussion with Suzuki. They were building the team as well. That in 87, they were going to go after the Nationals, which they did. Um, but shortly after that, I was contacted by Yamaha as well. That they wanted to introduce their Banshee the, in 1987. Um, my, with my negotiations with Suzuki, they
0: didn't—they
1: uh, didn't want to do any off-road. And Yamaha wanted to introduce theirs, be able to come out in 1987 with some credentials. So they approached myself and Dean Sundahl and some other uh, experienced, uh, Brett Driscoll and Craig Corda to you know race this banshee at the 86 baja 1000 and with that uh you know kind of some choices i decided to go with the yamaha deal and uh, they uh, promised to sponsor me as well for two years straight two years on all the other races desert races and uh, short course races on a Banshee. on banshee so i opted to go with the yamaha at that time and I'm glad I did. And I, I think I mentioned to you before because Suzuki spent a lot of effort and money. They had box fans. I mean, they threw significant stuff, but at the end of the eighty-seven year, they were done completely. I mean, they dropped it all. I think they had Gary Denton, Rodney Gentry, uh, Jeff Watts, and maybe another rider that I don't recall. And they had their own box fan. It was a full factory effort, and there was no expense spared. They really went after it. And I think Rodney Gentry ended up winning the title again. So he won it for Honda in 84. Six and then again for Suzuki in eighty seven. Right, and then I think he retired after Suzuki decided to fold up.
0: He came back in the nineties and yeah. uh Privateer okay, like oh, everybody by then. Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: So yeah, through um, through Yamaha, I, I was uh, had a really good deal, um, but they kind of got shortchanged a little bit by Mickey Thompson in eighty seven. They when they had the uh, Mickey Thompson series, they were going to have two. Quad classes. Um, they were going to have a 250 CC and an open CC quad class. And the same thing at the 87 opener was in uh, Anaheim Stadium. They had a 250 race and then I won the, the inaugural open class race on my Banshee. Uh, but for whatever reason, the management, they decided that they were only going to have one ATV class and they were going to drop the open class. Evidently, didn't have enough entries, or you know, never was really as popular as the 250s. Right, but Yamaha didn't have a 250 four wheeler, so again, and my brother kind of came to my rescue. Um, so again, they gave me three wheelers. First, it was just YZ uh, engines. We started putting YZ powered YZ 250 engines in the Banshee frames, and you know they were pretty competitive. In fact, I think Don Turk won a Mickey Thompson championship on his Yamaha. If I'm not mistaken. Uh,
0: I don't remember, but I think it might have been 88. 88, yeah. Yeah. Would have been, yeah.
1: And, uh, but my brother did his chassis too, so he built two chassis with the accepted YZ250. Um, for, for longer, faster races, they, again, it was, with the sponsor type of thing, you know, you want to develop the thing to have as much power as you can, but you also want, on the marketing end, you want to be able to say, hey, you know, this is our rider, he uses these components, but, there was no two fifty Banshee. so it's right kind of a place where they in my mind was never quite as competitive as I thought it could have been something because they couldn't get any tuners really that interested and spend enough time to to make it you know well,
0: well yeah something that you can't market exactly. to the general public exactly
1: so then they even they pushed the uh, my brother built this. I don't know if you remember. He built a blaster. They wanted, and everything came from Yamaha. It was kind of they kind of directed my career. What they wanted to kind of have, uh, you know, notarized or publicized at the time they wanted to push. So then it was a modified blaster to race the Mickey Thompsons. So, How did that go? Again, it you know it was okay. You know, we had to lengthen it. And my brother again, fabric, he did a, so much work to lengthen the chassis and to widen it. Used Banshee, you know, suspension components, and Curtis Sparks was was I was fortunate enough that he, you know, took some time to try and make that air cooled little 250 cc, and but again, you know, it really wasn't as competitive as as I'd hoped, but still was going racing, you know, was having uh, good finishes, finishing you know top five on the thing, and having fun as well, still had
0: a lot of sponsors, and Yamaha was footing the bill.
1: So uh-huh. it was okay. It was okay.
0: Not not paying out of your pocket had right. to make it better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I was racing my still racing my Banshee in the open races and was winning
0: at the Nationals on the
1: thing. I was still being successful in open class races. Um, but uh, at the beginning of the 88 season, Suzuki had already folded, so that was a big surprise. But, you know, much longer that Yamaha, at least professionally, came to me and said, you know, this is going to be it at the end of the season. You know, at least they didn't wait till like the last race oh by the way her, out, so they, yeah. at the beginning of the season they were very professional in fact yamaha was by far the most professional organization i ever worked with as far as you know working with the riders and just everything that involved racing there was no uh main guy like wes mccoy that kind of tried to direct everything you know dictate how things should work and, Again, I learned a lot of things from talking to other riders over the years on just the craziness that was going on, like I said, during the 85 season when, when Honda tried to dictate how the races should be won and how they should be run. And uh yeah, it was anyway, it was by the end of 1988, that was I knew the end and I actually attended the last Riverside off-road race. Um had a little bit of bad luck there and had a mechanical failure. Actually, my my nerf bar broke. We had some nerf bars made that actually incorporated the foot pegs were part of the nerf bar. Right. And they were made from aluminum. And I was doing well at the time, but the foot peg broke off. And the only thing that was holding on was those nets, and the thing was just slapping me in the legs. So I, I really couldn't ride it because it was just hitting the ground and bouncing up. And I was kind of just left foot in it, you know. So I had to deal and that was really my last professional race, was that uh, Riverside race. That was, I think, in August, September timeframe in 1988. And uh, yeah. And uh, my wife was pregnant with my daughter, and I just figured now it's a good time to, you know, hang it up.
0: So you had a, a pretty spectacular career for, you know, nine years.
1: Yeah, I mean, I got no complaints. I, you know, was a national champion, open class in in 82, open class in 83. I was a 250 national champion. Uh, I had a lot of success in 84, but again, depending on how you look at it, in 85, I felt that I was a national champ. Um, 86 was a lot of races, but uh, yeah, I didn't really hit any of the nationals. I kind of raced where the money was at um and suzuki had races that were combined with a a um, a a, uh, a sanctioning body called the cmc and they had what they called the the uh california i oh, can't remember it now it's uh yeah had like this warm up uh series of races in california and uh, for the nationals to open up and they're really popular in The Suzuki pay quad racers to come out and have a single moto race in between the motos of the motocross. So they, you know, they do their standard two moto format, and we come out in between. And uh, our win money was actually higher than they're paying the motocross guys to run two motos (laughs) to race quad racers for one. Uh, Golden State Series—that's what they called it. Yeah, it was really popular, and I would hit those races and anywhere that Suzuki would offer uh, contingency. In fact, at one race that I won, it was in Atalanto, uh the Suzuki engineers were there. It was on 86, and we uh, had that RM250 engine in my bike, and I spanked the, you know, Gary Denton and some of those other guys that had the standard ones, and these engineers came over and looked at the thing really hard, taking pictures and asking if my brother was an engineer or whatnot. Um, it was amazing how much they copied it, because in 87, the 87, Quad racer was identical to the one that we were. They had the RM engines and right. with a counterbalancer. You know, they they made it a little little better, but painted uh, right. a blue. And, you know, because they had a blue engine.
0: Yeah, uh, the '87 yeah. Suzuki.
1: So I feel I was fairly instrumental in kind of leading the development for that. So that was that was a good. And that, like I said, that was a really good yeah. handling quad. I liked it a lot. And uh, again, if it wasn't for for Yamaha to approach me about introducing the Banshee. Might have went with them for, but again, the only for, thing a for, for a season. I think I could have probably made the team as well. But uh, yeah, I didn't. Again, I, I went with the Yamaha deal. You, uh, how many children
0: did you end up having?
1: Three, three kids, three kids. Yeah, I've got two daughters and a son. The oldest one's Mandy, and the uh, middle one is is Abby, and my uh, youngest is a son. His name's Ruben. And my my oldest daughter's got three kids of her own. So got some grandkids here. Yeah,
2: I got, his, I got his, six. His oldest daughter has three boys
0: too. Yeah. So. yeah, Juliana. And she's, uh, she's got three boys. One's, uh, uh, 11, seven and newborn.
1: See, I'm kind of in the same boat. My oldest is eight. He'll be out here in a week or so. And then the middle one's five or I think five. And the, the last one she had is, uh, she actually had the, her youngest son on my birthday. We share a birthday oh that's awesome he'll be two in a that's couple so couple awesome.
0: weeks that's my, uh, good yeah that is pretty cool <laughs> yeah. my son has uh three he's got a, a daughter that's seven and he's got uh, a two-year-old well it'll be two in november mm-hmm. and then his wife is going to give birth at the end of this month yeah. to their third
1: um yeah so that, that was almost all of my career i um in 1985 they had a national that I won in uh, Colorado Springs. It was an outdoor on a natural terrain track. And I had a really good battle with Jimmy White there. Ended up passing him on the last lap for the win. Uh, second to the last race of the season. But I would known about and, and always admired that Pikes Peak hill climb race. Right. It's uh, actually the second oldest uh, race in America behind the Indy 500. And they actually call the thing Unser Mountain because uh, all the Unser family dominated that event for years and years and years. In fact, one of the Unser's, I think it was Bobby Unser, was there, or Bobby Unser's son. He was at the same event um, mm-hmm. that I went to in 93, but when I approached him in 85, after I won that title, um, they weren't allowing any motorcycles or ATVs to race the hill because a few years earlier, there was a fatality in the motorcycle races. So I was kind of bummed about that. So anyway, my my professional ATV racing career ended in 88, but I got wind in 1993 that they were going to let motorcycles and ATVs race the hill again. And it was kind of on my bucket list to do. So, uh, you know, I was very fortunate that I contacted all my sponsors and they all were willing to help me out. This was, you know, five years retired. This kind of leads into you guys a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, Yamaha gave me a Banshee, went up there and picked it up in the crate. and My brother did a lot of fabrication on a, Fancy sprint car style front end that would keep me from spinning out, because it turned really sharp, right. and that was my real concern. Never been there to the hill, and uh, so we did a lot of development and uh, went there in '93 and ended up winning it. So that was uh, good. In fact, I think the current ATV champ at the time was Mark Earhart, and I think he rode for Duncan Racing. Yes, he
0: did.
1: So mm-hmm. I ended up. I think Mark ended up third in that race. Yeah, uh, second, second or yeah. third. Yeah. So then I could uh, after I raced that I was able to give it up my racing. That, that, and that, part of that.
0: I never got to go to Pikes Peak. Yeah, I was in, involved in uh, the building of the chassis and prepping, prepping the machines to to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never got to be the guy that was there uh, when we had our success there. Lauren, my brother, uh, took the machine, took Mark, and controlled the whole. Uh, you know, ran the whole show. And, After that, I don't think Lauren ever had the ability because he got married in '93 and then started having kids, and and it it changed his ability to travel. And I was traveling a lot for, you know, at that point in time, you know, because I started traveling in 1990 with Duncan Racing, so Mm -hmm. that's kind of where uh, my uh, race mechanic started.
1: Yeah, that was a very. Probably my most gratifying win was that one in 93. Um, You know, I always had butterflies on the starting line of any race, but I can remember at that Pike's Peak race, man, they felt like vultures in my gut, you know? Butterflies aside the vultures.
0: (laughs) From the way it's been described to me is you get a a bottom practice, you get a top practice, so you don't get a chance to put it all together and you only get one.
1: Well, I, uh, I had a rental car, man, and I went up and down that hill with my eight millimeter camera on the dash. Cause like you said, you don't get that much time. So I just watched it and watched it and watched it over and over See. so I'd have a better idea. So it's just kind of a more of a mental
2: thing, even though like said, as far as the practices went. Well, and, uh, looking at some of those sweepers, if you miss the, you the know, corner, yeah. it's a long way down. Well, a
1: guy did go off even in
2: 93 when I was
1: there. Um, they said the first impact point of his ATV was over a 1,000 feet. First place it bounced. He kind of pushed himself off the back. The rider didn't go with it, but the ATV went off.
0: 1,000
1: foot drop before it hit. First hit. It
0: probably didn't even get any pieces back. I don't think so. I don't think it was retrieved. Yeah, wow. They they don't lose very many cars on that hill.
1: Uh, No, but they have gone off. Yes. I mean, this one corner they call the blue skies because You know, I actually watched the video. Now it's completely paved now.
0: Yeah, they completely paved the
1: whole thing. In 93, I think, was the last year was completely dirt, the year I raced it. And then in 94, starting in 94, they started paving it a mile at a time. mile a year, they paved it.
0: I don't remember the year exactly. I only remember the story that they go through qualifying, and the qualifying time flashes up on the screen. Fastest qualifier of the day mm-hmm. the board shuts down hushed throughout the pits everybody's rumbling the car guys are pissed the motorcycle guys are are kind of chuckling and the quad guys are ecstatic because we set the fastest qualifying time ever to, on the hill and they shut it down and they walk over and say this is not a motorcycle ATP race this is a car and truck race period mm-hmm. you know you will get you will you are first qualifier for the ATP period, there will be no time post.
1: Well, you know, that is Politics, what it is, You know, I mean, they,
0: I, I wasn't there, so I don't get to know everything that was said, but there was some turmoil involved in it and some issues, but uh, I get it. They, you know, ATVs have never caught on uh, and had the respect of the people that they should have.
1: Well, I think, honestly, I think they did have, they did catch on in the 80s. I mean, they were selling them faster than they could make them. Um, It was just the racing thing. I mean, that's what the marketing people at at Honda and all figured is that they didn't have to race them to promote them. People were going to buy three-wheelers anyway. um, Again, the numbers clearly showed that uh, the three-wheelers were Honda's best seller by far.
0: And the, the ATVs, you know, they would still be selling the TRX 450R 06 model to 14, the same yeah, thing. Yeah. They'd still be selling it because it's a great bike. You know, it really is. It's it's universal. It's a good dune machine. It's a good desert machine. It's a good trail bike. So <clears> I think,
1: mean to Yamaha's credit, you know, they're really the only ones that are still making anything. Pretty much. I think
0: that Kawasaki has their version of their 450, which was never a very good machine, even though they, they, they never they put a ton of money in a race team, yeah. never got it to the number one spot.
1: Yeah. I mean, you would know, you, you've been in it, you know. You said I, after that 93 uh, Banshee race, Banshee, I mean, look at Banshees stayed the same for what, 20 years?
0: Uh, from 87 to 91, uh, it was the same, or 80, 90. Yeah. Uh, and then in 91 to 2006, it was basically the same with yeah. some. Color changes and a couple of electrical plug changes, but for the most part, the engine was exactly the same. You know, and there were no nothing there. You know, so it was just the development. But believe it or not, with that Yamaha Banshee, we are still doing a little bit of development work, mm-hmm. but we're building more Banshees now than ever before. You know, and we built a ton of Banshees, and they just keep rolling them in the door.
1: Let's begin. They they sold them for so long, you know. Was a, everything's still available for them. You think if you got a you know, old two stroke, TRX 250, man, parts are kind of hard to come by.
0: Um, in some spots, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess in '98, I think it was. Uh, I was on the phone with a marketer, of some sort of. I don't even remember the whole gist now, but at that point, they figured, okay, this is '98. They built until 2006. So they're figuring in 98, there were a million Banshees in the United States. That's just the United States. That's not talking about the rest of the world. Yeah.
1: Well, let's face it. I mean, I, I had a lot of success on the Banshees. Um, they really didn't have to change it. I mean, unfortunately, they didn't really develop the market at that point because, again, they really didn't have any any need. There was no, no manufacturer there that was really making ATVs anymore.
0: Well, there was nothing to compare with the Banshee right. either. When you when you would go to the dealership and you, know, you had a blaster and you had a, <laughs> a, a 300X and you had a Banshee, yeah. I mean, who's not going to buy the twin cylinder Banshee? Yeah. Uh, I, mean, they, I mean, they're, they're super powerful uh, with the suspension mods that we have today. And then you had companies like Lager come out with chassis mm-hmm. uh, you know, because Doug Eichner wrote the Lager Banshee one three motocross open titles yeah in Uh he won a mickey thompson race when they allowed the banshees to race against the 250s mm-hmm. you know 95 the last race that mickey's ever ran Agnes- mm-hmm. they the
1: yeah they're good i mean let's face it like i said i have one these you're you're aware and uh Looking to put a Duncan Racing front bumper on it.
0: <laughs> oh, we appreciate that. <laughs> I, for the longest time, when you <laughs> when you trace it back in races one, being you know, f- for no offense to the Yamaha, being that I was always been such a Honda fan, mm-hmm. I had won more races with Yamahas and Kawasaki's than I had with Hondas mm-hmm. um, until '04.
1: Well, as far as the motorcycle industry goes is, you know, in my racing career, I actually at this point would still say I'm loyal, would be loyal to Yamaha more than anyone. Um, Even though it was only a few years with them, um, my last year with Honda was pretty sour and it wasn't with the machines. Of course, they always made good machines, but the the management there was just
0: really, in my mind,
1: bad. Yeah, that's
0: unfortunate that that happened. Yeah. And, And if you take the politics out of it, you know. And you just base it on quality of the machine, it's hard to beat on the quality. Yeah. Uh, Yamaha's, Yamaha had like the Yamaha 450R quad. That is a pretty good machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's won its fair share of races. It, it, it owns the GNCC series. Bill Balance
1: or something. Uh, it's, it's,
0: Bill Balance won a bunch of titles on there. Uh, there's a young man back there for, for some reason. I can't think of his name. Weaning? Uh Flowers. Flowers is Weaning. Gotcha. Weaning is. Is in the hunt to win another national title on his GNC like, uh against Hetrick. Uh, so the, there's some, it, it, there's a lot of competitive stuff. We won a title with the Yamaha Bar in 2018.
1: Well, I think that as you uh, the focus
0: seems to be on the side by sides now. Um, I, I I see it both ways because I'm we're so I'm so invested in the quads mm-hmm. and the ATV market that i have done a little bit of testing with the utvs Mm -hmm. and we as a company because you have to start out and redevelop Mm -hmm. okay i'm in my 50s and i can develop a atv way faster than i can disassemble a utv and start learning the nuances of a utv granted some guys want to transition to a cage I'm still not ready to transition to the cage. Neither am I. <laughs> <laughs> I, I and, and I get it, you know. I mean, uh, not to bring up Doug Eichner again, but I had a conversation with him about it, mm-hmm. and he has still got the desire to race. and The fire burns inside. Mm-hmm. And He says, when I get out of the car, my fire still—I'm still on fire, even I, whether I win the race or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't—I didn't quench my thirst for competitiveness because of it being in the cage. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I'm just saying, you go to any dealership now, and it's all about the side by sides.
0: Yes, know, yes.
1: Really, Other than Yamaha, again, there's really no ATVs, sport ATVs available. Right, I, and I'm sure the number of sales show that you know
0: they probably don't sell many. Not as many, you know. That's why Honda isn't isn't making a new one. Well, with the economy changes and then COVID, and then they released uh, they released a couple of machines uh, for in front of their supposed ATV, they built a jet, you know, so, so they're building airplanes. These are all things that you hear through the mill. Yeah. You know, when you talk on the phone as much as I do, and you talk to a diverse group of people that have been around to all the different places and may have be worked at Honda or Suzuki or Gamaha, you you get, you get an earful every once in a while of things that you didn't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you're allowed to, uh, uh, you know, I know somebody that's ridden the Honda Quad that they developed, ready to go, and for some reason they won't. So it's probably it's probably not outdated yet because Yamaha's technology hasn't changed in it. I wouldn't change it if I was them. Why? Nobody's nobody's beating
1: your technology. Well, that's why the Yamaha and Banshee stayed the same for so long. No need over overdevelop it.
0: Yeah, I mean, make money on it. Just keep selling the way it is. Exactly. I mean our electronics on our Yamaha stayed the same, which is great for the aftermarkets. I think sometimes when the factories get back in and start developing new models, mm-hmm. it it kind of crushes the ATV guys because we're not built to develop new models constantly. You know, we're we're it takes us a little longer because we're in business to make money and develop the product for the older models that we already have and to re-engineer, you know, making A-arms or making parts or motor parts or an exhaust system or things, it, it, it takes time. It's you uh, you like were said, there. That's
1: what right? happened when, uh, like I said, when Mickey Thompson decided that he was only going to have a 250 race. I was in that boat, you know, trying to make a Banshee with a 250 motor work. Yeah. We could do it, but you know, trying to get somebody involved to develop it is a little more difficult and time-consuming.
0: Well, now you know you take you take companies such as ours that you know the the, the the developers are Lauren and I. Well, we're also the guys that have to make money to keep the doors open mm-hmm. because they don't. You don't come to it's like you don't go to Curtis Sparks for anybody else. You go there for Curtis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, uh, you, you don't go to Duncan Racing for anybody but a Duncan it's just it's just the way the companies have devolved you know Baldwin Motorsports, you go there for Mark baldwin don't go there for anybody else so it, it, it it's developed where it's developed um, I've had a ton of fun doing
1: it yeah I always had fun that was one thing I mean politics aside in 85 I the good times far outweighed the bad but um, again that there were some really bad things that happened along the way there in 85 that were should just shouldn't have went that way unfortunately
0: yeah unfortunately it is unfortunate but on a lighter note yeah in you were riding a suzuki Mm -hmm. and you were at carlsbad and we got to race the same tt track at carlsbad at the same time i obviously wasn't in pro class
1: oh you were there i was
0: there racing when you were racing a quad there uh, and I believe that it was 86. It was 86. Because the three-wheelers were there with the four-wheelers. And I got to run in, like, the amateur class. Uh, and you were running in the pro quad class.
1: Yeah, I only raced the Suzuki in 86. That was the only yeah. year. And I I won that race. They had the thing once or twice a month. that. that yeah, it, was it was like was a TT track. It had a big, yeah, had we had had we a big jump go. on it. Yeah, I used to fly 80 feet off of that jump. I had to sit that thing pinned. Yep. And uh yeah, I mean that I like that, that racetrack and that Suzuki I had worked really good, turned good, suspension was good.
0: Well we get we would get to see the real guys, yeah. you know. I mean this this is back when I was just a teen you know,
1: teenager. Yeah, well, I, I know Dean Sundall raced up there too. You know, they had a lot of a lot of talent went
0: there. Yeah. The Kawasaki a couple of the Kawasaki guys would come out every once in a while. I didn't know the Kawasaki guys that, for some reason in our little niche they weren't as famous as, as you because probably good of your Honda at the time, and and, and Marty and Dean Wax was more of a desert guy. You know, we didn't we didn't uh, do a whole lot of uh, short course stuff with with his name being in, in, the, in the highlights. But I'm sure he was pretty fast in his day.
1: You know, Marty Tripes uh, promoted an off road race in El Cajon Speedway, a Mickey okay. Thompson style thing. They, they remember had, that?
0: they've had to, they had a number of
1: them. There. Yeah,
0: I got to race
1: it on a 200X. Yeah, I raced there too on my Suzuki. It was fortunately it was an '86, and it had a four or five race series, and I won four of the five races. Oh, that's on awesome. my Suzuki.
0: I went to the hospital.
1: Oh, <laughs> 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 well, that was kind of cool too. That the thing was actually in, in
0: El Cajon. You know? It was Yeah, it was awesome.
1: And it, the, beat, the bleachers were packed. I heard yeah. it was like they sold more tickets than. Than any other
0: event ever. At that yeah, it didn't, it, if I remember correctly, they had the three wheelers, and when I remember when we were starting, I was probably in the fifth or sixth row hmm. on the start. Yeah, you know, and it, it was crazy the amount of the amount of people that were there because I was riding an eighty five, two uh, hundred X for one race, and then I was riding an eight three eight four. 250r at, at one of the other races because my sponsor was my dad yeah he only let me ride what what was available at the yeah. time.
1: but that was a pretty good course i mean you know marty tribes is a clear off-road legend oh and, yes and he he really did well on making that track competitive I, like you said he kind of started back but it was a two moto deal he had yes, to race twice so i think they inverted the start so depending if you were in the back on one moto you'd be in the front on the second or if you're in the middle you're in the middle of both
0: oh uh, all was pretty good. i can remember is i got a check in the mail and i couldn't believe yeah it was for like nothing but you know yeah. i got a check you know
1: well i i know i won four this was a five racer i don't remember how many but i remember i won all but one of them and the payback was good and my, my main sponsor there was a bicycle shop. It used to be right there on Second Street. Um, the owner of that shop, uh I used to race bicycles too when I was younger. And uh so yeah Ginkies or No no, it was a Bike Shop too they called it. It was on okay, Second Street it. just north of Broadway. Yeah, and, yeah
0: been there. we there. were there as a kid.
1: So he had he sold more high end bikes and I knew how to lace wheels and fixed bikes really well and built custom bikes where he had a lot of younger clientele and older clientele and um he was a really nice guy his name was john payton and he paid me probably better than he should have for what i was doing and also you know let me take whatever time off that i needed to go racing so that worked out well for me because again the 86 was still fairly lucrative suzuki again i only raced in california i didn't chase the nationals because I wasn't getting a salary anymore, but the Suzuki win money was good at the, uh, like I said, the Golden State Series and the Mickey Thompson races and the Carlsbad deal. So I I still did pretty well on the Suzuki. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, again, it was just a lot of good times. I know
0: we've been, we're almost out of time. I know that you're a busy guy. How did you meet my dad?
1: it's uh, a good question. Um, your dad was clearly one of the peers of engine tuners back in the, you know, four-stroke ATC 90s. Uh, I think it was Danny's Machine Works. Yes, it was. Was uh, the guy to go to if you wanted to make your three-wheeler run. And they were all again, I think ATC 90s. He was probably on the US 90s. He was a uh, top guy. In California, San Diego was a clear hotbed. Right. And um I'm, some way I'm sure he he met my brother and I can remember actually coming to this residence a number of times. Your dad, I think, had his shop out here in the back.
0: That's where it all began yeah. is right out there in the garage. And
1: he was kind of teaching everybody, you know, everybody's learning from your dad
0: on how to make the things run. But yeah. uh, that's pretty awesome that that you come to the starting gate. Hey. You know, but however many years later,
1: your dad was clearly highly respected. I mean, I know the magazine guys would even come to your dad to, hey, we need we need this or we want to do that, and you know, bore big boar
2: strokers, whatever it was. Danny Duncan was uh, was a guy. Wow. I, well, I, just just saying on that, you mentioned um, Marty uh, uh, tripes, tripes. and uh, I was friends with his dad and when Marty was about 11 or 12 his dad come to the shop and he had a pair of broken <laughs> foot pegs and he says fix them so he, he won't break them yeah. and and I says it's like a Honda 90 it's just a rod I says you have nothing to to guss it off of or to hold it I said just buy a new pair and and tell him to sit down once in a while because he, he rode standing up.
1: Yeah, and, some of them uh, early Hondas too, like the ATC 90s, the foot pegs bolted. Bolted, the, bolted to the, to the cases and,
2: and just a, a rod about a half yeah. inch in diameter stuck out. Right. And uh, and he would he mm-hmm. rode the hell out of that little thing.
1: They had a little dyno, some kind of human dyno that they built. And uh, they had these handlebars at Honda somewhere and they, of course, they had them glued and safety wired on. And Marty could still twist the grips on the bars to spend her normal way. He held on so tight.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. That's this guy crazy. was an animal. It, it, it's it's amazing for me, growing up in, in Lakeside, and as you look at El Cajon, mm-hmm. and you think of all the great motorcycle guys that came from there, and it was the hotbed for your best beginning three-wheeler industry. I mean, I think there's people that may disagree with it, but the three-wheeler industry basically lit a fire here Mm -hmm. um, and and started the the, the craze.
1: Southern California, no doubt. Like you said, El Cajon, uh, just a number of motorcycle, motocross, uh, ATV champions came
0: from El Cajon
1: and even Jimmy Johnson.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) That being that being said, we used to work uh in Santee and mm-hmm. had our shop there for 30 years. And he used to work for major performance. Yeah, he
1: was washing parts.
0: Washing parts and, and well, my brother's
1: shop up. was right next door to yep. Kenny, right across exactly. the room. So
0: you remember that. Yeah. And he was just a kid, just a punk kid. Yeah. Wasn't even, you know, didn't even drive anything. He wasn't even a racer. Mm-hmm. I, I always want to reach out to him and find out if he ever got his 250R. Mm-hmm. Because that was his he always wanted a three-part. I mean, it's, well, it's, I'm it's
1: sure like, he I mean, could now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he has enough
0: money now. He could probably get any except your brothers. Uh, yeah, I think that one's a little, a little expensive. <laughs> and 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 Lauren Lauren's wife is not letting go of that Like it's still in pristine condition. Oh, well, I'm sure it is. It's been it's, it's been stored for thirty years.
1: I Remember, you took it somewhere. You were using it as a pit bike or something.
0: I not that you. one. Oh, what was another one? Was another one. Yeah, they won't even let me. I use that one to fit some pipes on because it's so straight. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that they don't let, they no. don't hear that out of the trailer at all. It is locked up under lock and key all the time. Kind of crazy, you know. I mean, my brother, God love him, does not rotate machinery. That we have the original 88 LT500 that we started with. We have a 93 Banshee that we got in 93, and it's it's the one that raced Pikes bike, Peak. Um, uh, I don't know what happened to some of the earlier models, but some of the later ones went away, but that one Banshee is still in his shed. You know, he's got his he's there, nine, uh, 2006 Raptor 700. Won't get rid of it. it's got one of the 400 EXs. That's, cool. I mean, that's cool i mean i me i rotate constantly you know and i'm always trying new stuff right now i don't mm-hmm. even own an atv because well you know, i have a I have a garage full of builds out there none of them are generally mine but i'm building trx 450rs and lt80s for my grandkids
2: when uh we worked your brother across the alley from us there I can remember I hated fine tuning twins uh, yeah. cranks, and every so often I get one and I just take it across the alley and let him do it. He was good at it, you know, really good and fast. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, so so he I, comes
1: around. Used to help him, so turn arounds, fair play,
0: right? Uh, it, 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 the circle, This circle. You know, I I never got to work with Sam. But I got to spend time with Sam because of where we worked. Mm-hmm. He'd be out in the alley testing a bike. I'd be out in the alley testing a bike. And I remember sometimes we'd have to take turns. <laughs> who was going to Who was gonna test bikes? Because there was only enough room for one.
1: And Richard Simpkins was next to you guys, too. Yeah. God bless him, man. He
0: was a good guy.
1: Ricky Stater.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was a good guy. I, I didn't get to meet Richie, but Rich until his uh, later portion of his life um, because he had his shop at his house in Santee. But when he moved in next to us, Mm -hmm. I I got to spend some time and I learned quite a bit from him. You know, and he trained Mike Mm -hmm. and I still talk to Mike quite a bit.
1: And I talked to him not too long ago. You know, some wiring stuff he helped me with.
0: Yeah, he's a pretty smart guy.
1: Oh, yeah. Like you said, trained by the best.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, Every once in a while, I get to. Michael get talking about stories about uh, what we call who we call Ricky Stater, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the only way I've ever known him is Ricky Stater. Never, me never. Knew him. And he tell me some stories about some of the things he did. He was quite the motorcycle racer. I didn't mm-hmm. know that he was pretty good.
1: Yeah, he was actually educated too uh, at uh, Northrop University. They used to build those uh, aircraft, you know, government aircraft, jets and fighters and stuff like that. It he he was he a smart school. Group electrical engineer or something I forget what it was that he took up there
0: but. he was a pretty smart guy about most things though if, oh, you, right. talk. if you could get past the uh the, his facade of who, he, who he was trying to, to hide it from you know when you got past that he, he, he was a pretty good guy he was Mike thank you very much for taking the time with ATV Talk yeah, no problem I really hope that it, you know we can do this again yeah. in the future and Sure. I'm sure that there's other stories and other things. Oh, that there's plenty, even, man. You didn't even touch on. There's lots. So just, <laughs> I really appreciate you spending the time with us today. And uh, My pleasure. We'll get you back out um, in the future. And uh, I'll get you a, a contact where you can find this episode. Because right. we're out on Spotify and Google and Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. So you can find us at all the team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com Duncan Technologies International More than 33 years in the industry, building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening.
2: We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and
0: Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.